Well, today is a significant day in the world of the Hallmark industry. Any guesses? Today's Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day, as we all know, is all about love, right? It's all about love. Uh, first and foremost, the culture tends to celebrate this day as a day celebrating romantic love, uh, but it's really all about love. Kids give Valentines to their moms, their, their dads, they give them to their friends. Um, lots of chocolate is consumed. It's, it's a good day. Our popular culture has communicated many, many ideas about love. And it's primarily communicated through the medium, or the media rather, of, of film uh, and music. Uh, so you think of things like, uh, love means never having to say you're sorry. Right, anyone? Okay, good, thank you. Flashbacks to the 70s, for those of you who were there. Um, Ali McGraw, Ryan O'Neill, right? Um, what the world needs now is Love, sweet love, right? And uh, how about this? 1967, the Beatles, all you need is? Love. There you go. Uh, and everybody, I looked this up this afternoon to see who did this, and it looks like everybody and their brother-in-law recorded at least one version of this. Love is a many splendored thing. There you go. And Dave Perrin had a suggestion. What was it, Dave? Love is a battlefield. Love is a battlefield. <laughs> it was Pat Benatar, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So you can see these different ideas that have been communicated by our culture, some of them uh, are closer to truth than others. Uh, some of them give us warm, fuzzy feelings. Um, it's really funny because a few weeks ago I was listening on, uh, sorry, this is totally diverging from where we were going, but uh, Amazon Prime, you can listen to free music streaming. And I was going through, and it came up with uh, the suggestion of uh, Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond, right? You don't bring me flowers. What a depressing song. <laughs> wow. Like I'm familiar with it and whatnot, but I actually listened to it and I'm saying, wow, this is like really, oof. So there's been lots of warm and fuzzy feelings communicated uh, by, by media, by film, by stage, by song. And there's been lots of stuff that's just kind of like weird. Needless to say, all of these things are a far cry from what our God has told us concerning genuine love. Uh, we have this wonderful statement uh, from Joshua Harris. He says, the world takes us to a silver screen on which flickering images of passion and romance play. And as we watch, the world says, this is love. God takes us to the foot of a tree on which a naked and bloodied man hangs and says, this is love. This is love. Every now and then, it's always helpful for us to recalibrate our understanding of what genuine biblical love is all about, to, to counteract the influence of the culture that's all around us. Because uh, whether you, you're actively consuming it or just you're doing your grocery shopping and you're hearing it in the background, there are constant messages being communicated to us, whether it's television, whether it's film, whether it's music, about what genuine love is. So what we want to do tonight is we want to consider uh, aspects of love, which is actually uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Aspects of Love, which is a whole other thing. Uh, but we're looking at nine aspects of biblical love. We want to look at what God says about genuine biblical love to ensure that our thinking about love is right. We want to make sure that we're, we're feeding our minds with the truth of God's word and reminding ourselves of what true biblical love looks like. So we're going to look at nine aspects. That's nine points. Pastor Rob, the other, what was it, a few weeks ago, we had 15 points or whatever it was on a Wednesday night. 
fifteenthly, uh, we're not going to go that bad. We're only going to have nine. So the first one I want to consider here, looking at biblical love, is that love is commanded. Love is commanded. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, chapter 13. We're familiar with the context. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, He's washed the feet of the disciples. And he gives them some instruction here. John chapter 13. Take a look down at verse 34. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not, um, hey, if you feel certain feelings towards someone, you are to express this in a certain way. No, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, in the same way, to the same degree that I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is a command. We are commanded to love. That alone totally contradicts what the world tells us love is about, that this warm, fuzzy feeling. Look over at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we see a similar presentation of love as, a, as something that's commanded. Mark chapter 12, and take a look, please, down at verse 28. Verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus identifies this this call to love, both love for God, first and foremost, that's the greatest commandment, and then also love for one another, love for your neighbor. He says this is the second of all the commandments, you think about every precept that was laid down in the Old Testament, and Jesus has summed them up and encapsulated them in these two pillars, love for God, love for neighbor. And that command applies universally. We are commanded to love one another. This is something that God requires of us. But as with everything else, as we see throughout the pages of Scripture, what God requires, he graciously provides. And we are thankful for that. So the second aspect of love, not only is it commanded, it's also something that originates with God himself. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5, please. Love originates with God. Galatians 5, we all know this passage, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law the spirit is the one he is the one who produces genuine love in us this is this is the fruit of the spirit's controlling in our lives he is the one who produces love Uh, turn over to first thessalonians chapter three at the end of the chapter paul closes out this section with this prayer he's in verse 12 first thessalonians three he says And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, 
so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't just uh, pleasant language that Paul is using. No, he's recognizing the truth that God is the one who is going to enable them to abound in love, to increase in love to one another and to all. The source of that love is in God himself. It's not something they're going to muster up uh, by their own efforts. They're not going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, so to speak, and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love. Ugh. That's not going to work. It, the source needs to be in God himself in order for this to be genuine biblical love. So as we, as we surrender our will to God, he enables us to demonstrate biblical love to others. So love is commanded. It originates with God. It's also, thirdly, an evidence of salvation. Now look over at 1 John chapter 2, please. Love is an evidence of salvation. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 9. It's presented here in a negative light, but we can glean from this the, the opposite truth here. He says, uh, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The the one who has hatred in his heart towards his brother, towards his fellow believer, the one who hates that person, he really demonstrates that if this is an abiding darkness, that this is an abiding hatred rather, he's really walking in darkness. He's not someone who's been redeemed. He's not someone who's been transformed. Uh, John lays this out. John is very black and white in in the way that he presents uh, these evidences of salvation in the the book of 1 John. And he says, look, if you're doing this, great. If you're not doing this, well, then you have no part in God. This is not something uh, where you're showing that God has done a work in you. He says, he who hates his brother, you're walking in darkness. Uh, But he who loves his brother, verse 10, he abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. Uh, Look over at chapter 3 of 1 John. Chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, again, presenting it in both the positive and the negative. On the negative side, he's saying whoever hates his brother, whoever is not demonstrating love for his brother, this person's a murderer. And he says, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But uh, the one who loves his brother, verse 14, he says, we know that we've passed from death to life. We know that we have eternal life. How? because we love the brethren. The very fact that there is love manifest toward the brethren, that is an evidence of God's transforming work having been accomplished in an individual's life. Look over at chapter 4, 1 John 4. Again, love is presented here as an evidence of salvation. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Again, verse 7, you have the, the positive presentation. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If there's, if there's genuine love being manifested, this is someone who has been born of God. This is someone who knows God. 
And then the opposite, the negative aspect is presented in verse 8. If you don't love, then you don't know God. So again, it's presented here as an evidence of God having worked in that individual. And then lastly, down in verse 20 of chapter 4, he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So again, John is presenting various tests throughout this epistle, but the, the element we're looking at right now is just this idea that manifesting love, manifesting genuine biblical love for fellow believers is presented here as an evidence of salvation. This is a sign that God has worked in this individual, which based on what we've just looked at, that it's commanded and that it's something that originates with him, this is logical, this makes sense. Uh, this is... Uh, the love is only manifested by the, the working of the Spirit, and the Spirit is only actively working in individuals who are redeemed. So th this logically flows from the, the earlier point. Love is commanded. It originates with God. It's an evidence of salvation. Love is also sacrificial. This is where we get into more of the, I'm not going to say the meat. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5. This is where we get into the, the, the characteristics, the qualities. Love is sacrificial. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says, walk in love. Walk in and live out your life as, as a believer in a believing community of individuals. Do that in love. And how? Do it as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. So you see the, the, the ultimate expression of God's love for man is at the cross. So we see that that, that self-sacrifice, that laying down of, of Jesus' life for his, for his bride, for the church, that is presented as, yes, this is what genuine sacrificial love looks like, and you are to do the same. He says, walk in love as Christ has also loved us. I'll look back at uh, John chapter 15. See, the same idea communicated by Jesus, again, speaking with the disciples in the upper room. And in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So again, Jesus is speaking here, anticipating what he's about to accomplish at the cross, and there's also a call to the disciples to emulate that, that same uh, degree of love, where, yes, you're laying down your life, for one's friends. There's that sacrificial element that's present there. Look back at 1 John chapter 3, and in verse 16, John writes, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And we're going to get to that practical element of that a little bit later but again right now we're just keying in on verse 16 the idea that yes we know love because he laid down his life for us and the call here is we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren you think about uh, this idea of sacrificial love and really that's the only kind of, of genuine biblical love is, is love that sacrifices that gives of itself uh, you think of the love of a, a parent to a child. And for me, my, where I'm at right now in my life, that's really the closest um, or the, 
yeah, the closest illustration that I can think of. At 3 o'clock in the morning when my son is screaming, do I really want to get up? No. <laughs> I want to just bury myself under the covers and stay there, especially when it's cold, right? Because then it's like you get up and you're kind of fumbling around. And you know that if you go in there, he's going to be up probably for another few hours. It's just bad news. But as a parent, and those of us who are parents know this, you love that child so much that it's like, okay, I, I know this is going to be misery on me, and I'm going to get the sickness that you've got because um, you're going to be breathing in my face and coughing in my face. But we know that that measure of sacrifice that is required in, in, in loving another individual, uh, so whether it's a child, whether it's a spouse, uh, whether taking care of parents, uh, those, of, uh, those of us who have had to um, provide care for an ailing parent, uh, that, that's that same, that same level of sacrifice that's needed there. This is what God has called us to, and again, we always point it back to, this is what God enables us to do by his spirit. And, and so as the spirit is working in us, love is going to be coming out. And what does that love look like? The first thing is it's sacrificial. It's giving of itself. It's laying down its own desires, its own wants, and pursuing the good of the one who is being loved. So love is sacrificial. Uh, love is also forgiving. Love is forgiving. Look at First uh, Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Because, again, the idea of love is seeking the, the, the good of the one who is being loved. The one who is loving doesn't hold grudges against that individual because there's a recognition that the one who is being loved is ultimately going to be hurt by those grudges. Right? So if there's a genuine desire to pursue the best uh, of the one who is being loved, then there is quick forgiveness that comes from that. There is quick forgiveness. There, there's no hanging on to things and say, we remember in 1976 when you said this to me, right? You don't, you don't pull out your list and say, okay, wait a sec, hang on. Uh, yep, right here, see? We had this argument over the French fries at that restaurant. I don't care what name of it was, We're, right? I mean, these are just totally uh, foolish things that sometimes people can get themselves caught up into. But... Genuine biblical love is forgiving. It's, it's forgetting. It's saying, yes, this has happened. I acknowledge that there's a hurt there, but I forgive you. By God's grace, I forgive you. You're released from that, that burden that's there that I'm putting on you, holding that over you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We all know the, the love chapter, so we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. And then this phrase, thinks no evil. Anyone have an ESV or an NASB or anything other than a King James or a New King James? Well, the, the center margin note that I have referenced here is that this phrase in the New King James, thinks no evil, can also be translated, keeps no account of evil. Keeps no account of evil. I was hoping the ESV might catch that, but they didn't. Yeah, that's, that's another phrase. Keeps no record of wrongs? Okay. I knew there was another translation that captured that. Okay. So the idea there is that there's no, there's no laundry list. 
There is no laundry list. There is no, remember 1976 when we had that argument over the french fries in that restaurant in Cape Cod? No, right, that, that doesn't exist. Um, there's no list, there's no, okay, we had this fight last week and we're gonna have this fight again next week and there is no list. There, there's a quick movement to forgive and that is what is produced as the spirit is working in us, uh, manifesting genuine love. There, there's a quick, uh, there's a desire to pursue forgiveness and, and reconciliation uh, among the, uh, the two parties. So love is forgiving. Uh, sixthly, love is sincere. Love is sincere. Go to Romans chapter 12, please. And we'll start in verse 9. Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Right, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Right? There, there's no uh, putting on a mask of saying, Oh, brother, I love you so much. You're, just, you're so great. Man, did you hear about what this guy did? Right? It's not, um, I'm looking at you, Brian, and not because I'm thinking about you, but you're right there. So I'm just going to say, you know, Brian, I mean, I love you. I hope everything's going well. Jason, did you hear about what he did last week? I could not believe that. This guy. That is not a genuine expression of love. That is not sincerity. That is hypocrisy. That is putting on a face. Or, or it could be, um, yeah, man, I love you, brother. Praying for you. Um, hey, I could really use a, 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 um, a ride to work. Uh, it's right on your way. Oh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's whatever. Uh, anything that you, your actions are not consistent with your words is hypocrisy. And Paul is saying, let love be without hypocrisy. We, we are called to have a sincere, genuine love. We're not saying one thing while doing the opposite. We're not saying one thing and thinking the opposite or feeling the opposite internally. Or we're not putting on a face to, to make ourselves look good. It is sincere. Uh, you don't have to turn there. We'll sit, try and cut on some time here. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, Peter writes, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So it, what he's saying, though, is, and we don't want to miss this, first off, he's saying, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. So it's only through the Spirit, and it's expressed in sincere love of the brethren. Again, unhypocritical. Not putting on a face and then doing something different. There, there's, genuine, uh, there's genuine expression of seeking the other's best interest. It's sincere. Love is also unifying. This is number seven. It's unifying. Philippians chapter two, please. Love has the effect of uniting disparate parties. Verse 1, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The ability for love to transform a group of like strangers into a community, into a, a, a a fellowship of, of family, really, that's only accomplished by God's Spirit working in us to produce love. If you look around this room, and do it, because there's only a handful of us here. Um, look around the room. We all know these faces, right? We know these faces very well. We've seen, we've seen ourselves plenty of times. But if you think about all the different backgrounds that each of us have, um, and I'm not going to pick on anybody, uh, but you think about all the different careers that we have, 
the different strengths and weaknesses. Some of us are very into um, mechanical things, physical things, uh, you know, I just I lift things and I move things, or I build things, or I break things. <laughs> I pick things up, I put things down. Um, <laughs> that was a great commercial. But no one is like that in here, just for the record. No, one, no one's like a bodybuilder like that. But, but the idea is some of us are into those things. Others of us are much more comfortable sitting and, and reading a book, uh, working on a computer, uh, thinking. Some of us like to talk a lot. Some of us, we don't like to talk. Um, we're all different. But God, in his providence, has said, I'm going to take all these people and I'm going to put them together and I'm going to make the Cornerstone Church out of this group of people. And I'm going to put my spirit in them and I'm going to cause love to be produced, one for the other, so that you have people from all these varied backgrounds that are now loving one another in a genuine community. God is the one who does this. And this is the effect of love. It has this unifying effect of bringing people together. Look over at Colossians chapter 2. Actually, go to Colossians 3, if you would. Colossians 3 uh, in verse 12. While you're turning there, Colossians 2 in verse 2, the beginning of the verse, he's, he's praying uh, for the church at Colossae, also for those in Laodicea, and he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Being knit together in love. This, this picture of, of literally, you know, you're, you're taking, I'm, I'm not a knitter. Anyone a knitter here? There you go, right? Once you knit something together, like that's, it's, it's not like, unless you have like a loose thread and you can pull the whole thing apart, that's not easily coming undone. And that's really what's happening here. He's saying that they may be knit together in love. There's this joining together of, of multiple people and, and the common uh, element there, that the bonding agent is, is love itself. Love is what's holding people together. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3, we see a similar phrase here. Starting in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The bond of perfection, the perfect bond. The, 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 the agent that is able to form the closest union. It's the bond of perfection is love. And again, this is something that God produces in us by his spirit. He produces in us love, and that love has this effect of uniting us, of bringing us together. All right, we're going to review real quick. Who remembers the first six points? <laughs> oh, you wrote it down, wrote cheater. <laughs> love is commanded. It's a command. But it originates with God. He's the one who produces it in us. It's an evidence of our salvation. It's sacrificial. Love is forgiving. Love is sincere. It's not hypocritical or putting on masks. Love is unifying. It has this, this effect of bringing people together and knitting them together, forming, forming a bond. Number eight, love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. Look over at Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, starting in verse 8. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, 
namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what he's saying here is that as we submit to the, Lord, as we submit to the Spirit of God, he is producing love in us that is aligned with God's commandments. Right? So he, he says here, all these commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, etc. He says all of these things are all summed up in the saying that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love doesn't do any harm to a neighbor. Love is looking out for the best interest and for the good of those who are being loved. Therefore, it's the fulfillment of the law. So as the Spirit is working in us, he is enabling us, and when we see this, you don't have to turn there, but we see that also in Romans chapter 8, that as we're submitting to the Spirit of God, he is fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in us. He's doing that in us as he produces this fruit. Uh, go to Galatians 5, if you would, please. I'm trying to manage time and also manage turning. Galatians 5. Along the same lines as that, at the end of the fruit of the Spirit passage, he says, against such, there is no law. Right? There's no law against love. There's no law against joy or a law against peace or against long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no laws against this. God doesn't say, okay, you can't have love. You can't have joy. There's no prohibition there. So we're fulfilling the law, and there's no law against it. And in Galatians 5, in verse 13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Again, verse 14, all the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, as, as love is being manifested in our lives, we are fulfilling the law of God. God is, it's great. God says, do this. And then he says, I'm putting my spirit in you and the spirit is manifesting these fruit and that fruit is fulfilling that thing that I told you to do. That's, only God does this and it's a beautiful thing. That's grace. So love fulfills the law. I'll look over at uh, James chapter two. Same concept in verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So again, he says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, if you fulfill that by loving your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Again, just pointing us back to this truth that loving, demonstrating love for one another is a fulfillment of God's requirements, God's commandments. Lastly, and this is the big one. This is the one that has the most feet. Most feet? Yeah, it's a centipede. Um, <laughs> this is the one that has feet and has the most bearing on, on day to day. Look over at 1 John chapter 3. Love is practical. Love is practical. This is not just an abstract theory. Uh, this is not just a feeling. This is something that has feet. This is something that uh, is action. There's activity associated with this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't pay lip service to loving someone. 
right? That's the command here. He says, don't, don't love in word or in tongue. Oh, I love you, brother, and I really have no interest in your well-being. I could care less about you. Um, I'm not going to do anything to help you. I'm not going to pray for you. Uh, but oh, I love you, brother. Gotcha. Um, no, John says, that no, that's useless. That's worthless. If you're going to love, genuine love needs to be done in deed, action, and in truth. Again, this goes back to the sincerity, the lack of hypocrisy, that it's in truth. This is something where, yes, I'm telling you that I love you, and then my actions uh, correspond with that. There, there's an agreement there. Uh, John Stott said this. He said, Christian love belongs rather to the sphere of action than of emotion. It is not an involuntary, uncontrollable passion, but unselfish service undertaken by deliberate choice. This is not what we see at the movies. This, what John Stott just said, is not what we hear on the radio. Um, and this is, what, this is what we should see inside the church, right? Where love is something that is not just, um, hey, I feel warm and fuzzy toward this person today, so uh, I'm going to help them, or... Uh, hey, if it's not too much of an inconvenience for me, it goes back to the sacrificing element of it. If it's not too much of an inconvenience, then maybe I'll, I'll show up and do something. No, this is giving up of oneself for the, for the betterment of someone else and doing it in practical terms. Doing it with, with like I said, with, with feet. Uh, that there's, there's action that's involved here. So love is practical. Love is commanded. We're going to review our list one more time. Love is commanded. Uh, love is something that originates with God. Love is an evidence of salvation. Love is sacrificial. It is forgiving. It is sincere or, or without hypocrisy. Uh, it is unifying. It, it joins different parties together around this common element. Love fulfills the law. God's righteous requirements are fulfilled by loving one another. And lastly, it's practical. It's practical. This is something that uh, is... Day in and day out, there's, there's nothing, um, it's not just some, an, an abstract concept. It's not this ethereal, oh, gee, you know, <laughs> love and whatever. No, this is, this is genuine biblical love. This is what it looks like. So the key in all of this is we need to submit to the Holy Spirit's control in our lives. We need to submit to the Spirit. As we do that, we know we know that he's going to produce genuine biblical love in our lives. And that love is going to look much less like a movie screen, right? It's not going to look like the latest thing that's going to win an Academy Award. It's not going to look like the latest Top 40 hit. It's not going to look like Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond, that's for sure. It's going to look much more like Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. So as we submit to the Spirit, let's allow him to produce that fruit in us that we can demonstrate love uh, in and among the body, and also to the world around us, because that is real love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that what you require, you provide. Father, thank you that you graciously have given us your spirit. Lord, help us to surrender to your will in our lives, that the fruit of the spirit will be made manifest. Lord, help us, help us to, to see genuine love in our families, at our workplace, Father, and, and especially here in the local assembly. Help us to demonstrate love one for another. 
Lord, I pray that you would give each of us the grace to do that. Help us to be informed, Father, of what, what real love looks like and, and not, to, not to be aligned with what the world is projecting for us, Father. Help us to be sensitive to your word and the truth of your word that we would look to that as, as a genuine expression of love. Father, we pray that you would do this, and and only you can do this. So we trust you, and we look to you with confidence, Father. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.